this edition of the Ambition Podcast. I'm David Woodtail, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA. Entrepreneurship and innovation have risen to the fore as core components of the MBA experience to serve both students and graduates keen to set up their own businesses, as well as those who want to take a more creative and strategic stance as part of a larger organization. But how does this work in practice? How can a student gain the most entrepreneurial experience from their course, whether that be knowledge, network, or both? How does the lifelong learning element fit into the mix here with graduates continuing to have relationships with their schools throughout their careers to share ideas and keep their zest for innovation fresh and up to date? Last month, I was lucky enough to catch up with Sharon Cunningham, MBA graduate of UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School, co-founder of innovative pharmaceutical startup Shawler Pharma, and as a result, winner of Amber's MBA Entrepreneurial Venture Award in 2020. Sharon shared her thoughts on entrepreneurship as a focus of the MBA, as well as the importance of business schools and alumni keeping strategic relationships in place many years after graduation. So if you want to just start off, Sharon, with telling us a little bit about yourself and, and your career to date, just as a little bit of background. Sure, David. So I live in a coastal village called Stradbury um, in the south of Ireland. Uh, both my parents have their own uh, businesses. So finance felt like, um, you know, a natural choice after school, sort of in my DNA, so to speak. I did a BSc in finance in University College Cork here in Ireland, followed by a training contract with Coopers in the audit department there. Um, and I was lucky because that took me on international assignments to Chicago and London and on a secondment to New York City. I then joined a relatively early stage company called Airgen Pharma in Waterford in Ireland. And the two co-founders of that company had actually done an MBA in the University of Limerick in Ireland. Um, and that had been their inspiration. They actually put their business plan that they had to do as part of one of their modules into practice and founded the company. Um, during my time there in Ergen, I welcomed my three little boys and I also decided to do an executive MBA at CCD Microsoft Graduate Business School in Dublin. So I did that over two years and I graduated in 2015. And that was the same year that the company I was working for, Ergen, was sold to a US multinational company. Um, so myself and a colleague um, with a very much a complementary skill set decided that we set up our own company. So we planned it over two years by night and that weekend. And we left our jobs in December 2017 to start Shorla Pharma in January 2018. Okay, wow. So um, a lot of different sort of uh, different sort of uh, career changes um in your history what why did you sort of make the why did you sort of make the decision to, to move into pharmaceuticals after after working in in consultancy and more sort of finance roles uh yeah so i think it's always something i wanted to do i wanted to get um sort of a practice grounding or background but i always knew i wanted to go into industry and then eventually start up my own company but i was very conscious that i wanted to spend time educating myself as best as I could and growing my network in order to maximize my own kind of brand and credibility um, so that eventually when I did start my own company, I could hit the ground running. Absolutely. And with that in mind, um, earlier this year, you were awarded Amber and BJ's Entrepreneurial Venture Award for Private Sector, which is an amazing achievement. Congratulations. 
Um, how did it feel to, to win this award and, and how do you think it might make a difference to, to you and your career going forward? Thank you very much, David. I was truly humbled and honoured to accept such a prestigious award on behalf of my co-founder, Ola Ryan and I, and Shorla Pharma. And I know the competition was extremely high and the award is really, really precious. Um, and it was an absolute privilege to represent TCD's Merkwood School. The award is further validation of our business plan and has provided national and international exposure. And that further enhances our credibility as a globally focused pharmaceutical company. Amazing. Um, you mentioned that you completed your MBA at UCD Michael Smurfit Graduate Business School. Why did you choose that school over, over anywhere else to complete your MBA? What really appealed about it to you? Yes, so um, I guess, first of all, the reason I did the MBA was because I had witnessed a real-life example of an MBA being put into practice. So that was really my inspiration. And then when I was choosing which school to go to, uh, to be honest, the choice was really simple for me. Um, UCD Smurfit School has a fantastic reputation in Ireland, and I would have heard people um, talk about it, and in particular their MBA program. Um, they're globally um, focused, and they're actually the only business school in Ireland, um, and indeed one of an elite group of schools worldwide to, to hold the triple crown of accreditation. And David, you'll know a lot more about that than I do. Um, but for me, that was a signal signal of quality and um you know, from international independent peers, um, where it was kind of like a guarantee to me that I would receive a top quality internationally recognized MBA. And also, it's a beautiful campus in Dublin um, where the school is located. So, as I said, it was a really easy choice and I'm very pleased with that decision. Amazing, yeah. Um, I do know quite a lot about the Triple Crown. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it basically means that the schools are credited by Amber, Equus, and AACSB. And I think that's less than um, 1% of business schools in the whole world sort of have that have that le level of accreditation. So it, it is absolutely a mark of excellence. I'd be interested to know, actually, about, about UCD, what the sort of... Um, breakdown of, of international students versus Irish students would be? Was there, was there a lot of international people in your cohort as well? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the percentage is, but there, there certainly um, was a certain amount of international students and there was also opportunities for um, uh, to do modules um, internationally. We also completed an international study trip in China at the time as well. So there was a huge emphasis on ensuring that we got that uh, broad range um, of internationally focused um, experience. Fantastic. So from what you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that you chose to do the MBA to sort of give you a bit of an impetus and, and some ability to start your own, to start up your own business, really. Um, and it's great that you were able to start the, the course with that sort of focus to, to really, I suppose, think as you were working through it, what, what you were taking from it and to enable you to set up your own business and, and drive that forward. Um, how, what in particular during the MBA really sort of enabled you to, to go on and, and do that? I think I certainly um, did the MBA with intent, so I knew I wanted to set up my own business. And, you know, I had been exposed to very much an entrepreneurial journey in Airgen, um, but I knew I needed something more in order to give me the confidence to be able to do that. And the MBA certainly equipped me with the skills. Um, the network was incredible, and it still is. Um, and that crucial piece of that confidence that I felt I was lacking um, I got that and, you know, I was able to embark 
on the entrepreneurial journey then with, with much more ease um, than I would have been if I didn't do it. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I, I'm really interested to find out a little bit more about Shola Pharma. Um, so my understanding is that, that the main sort of focus of what you do is, is women's in, and paediatric health. Um, why did you really decide that this was an area that you wanted to work within and, and, and develop um, you know, new, new products and services within? Sure. So, yeah, Shorla Pharma is a speciality pharmaceutical company, and we have a pipeline of drugs in the oncology space uh, with a focus on women and paediatric health. Um, so both myself and my co-founder, as I said, were like-minded individuals with a complementary skill set, and we were motivated to do something meaningful and purposeful and to have a wider impact and actually, you know, create positive change. And both of us have always had an appetite for risk. I think the reason we chose um, women and children's area was because we're both women and we have five little boys between us. And it was an area that we felt that was sometimes... Um, overlooked uh, within the pharmaceutical space. So we, we decided that that was an area that we wanted to focus on. We're not a large multinational pharmaceutical company with billions of dollars and 20 years to wait for a new groundbreaking drug. And equally, we're not a generic pharmaceutical company. So we position ourselves somewhere in between, whereby we take existing active substances that are proven to be safe and efficacious, and we identify problems in the current clinical setting. And then we bring solutions. So the beauty of our products is that we can protect ourselves in, in two ways. One, um, the intellectual property associated with our patents, so from a legal uh, perspective, and also with the market exclusivity that comes with the types of drugs um, and the indications that we develop. So from a regulatory perspective also, we can get protection. Absolutely. I think I think what's really stood out to me there is that you're you're talking about developing an organisation with a sense of purpose, and that you, you, you it's it's something you believe in personally and want to achieve personally. And and I think that was something that really stood out to the judges. Um, you know, when when they were sort of discussing um the entrepreneurial venture award for Amber. Um, do you think that that purpose and values is something that enough organisations are really taking enough of a I guess a stance on and, and really working towards purpose-driven strategy. Um, you know, sort of. I, I suppose that there's always the debate about pur- purpose versus profit, and um, that's obviously something you're very mindful of. What would your message to other organisations be that that are sort of trying to develop along those along those lines? I suppose. Yeah, and I think sometimes the problem is that that, that purpose um, is, is sometimes overlooked and. Um, as I said, we're not a large pharmaceutical company, but we're very, very purpose-driven. Um, and really, the reason a lot of these opportunities exist for us is because they're not commercially attractive to the larger pharmaceutical companies, because the population sizes are too small, and, and hence they're not attractive enough. Um, so we wanted to do something about that, and that's exactly what we're doing. Absolutely. And then I suppose talking about innovation within pharmaceuticals, what do you see as, the, as being the most important future trends in this in this sector, which I imagine moves very quickly? <laughs> yeah, so it, it absolutely does. And I think what we're seeing in our particular space within the pharmaceutical sector is that there's a trend away from generics in recent years towards more speciality pharmaceutical products. And we think that will continue so companies, they want to add to their portfolios with more sort of niche orphan indications. 
and in particular drugs that are in short supply, um, you know, those drugs that are in shortage are getting a lot of uh, attention internationally. So by having established supply chains, companies can take advantage uh, of these commercial opportunities. Um, and, and that's exactly what, what we're about. Fantastic. And then I suppose talking about you as, as an entrepreneur in yourself, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you've had to over- overcome um, in order to develop your business? Yeah, um, and I think I had to learn really early on, on the entrepreneurial journey, the importance of having an intimate relationship with the problem, but being emotionally detached from the solution. And that was actually a bigger challenge than I realized for me in particular. Um, because, you know, when you spend a lot of money on product development, um, that you later have to abandon because, you know, for example, they're not going to be prescribed by the prescriber or reimbursed by the insurance companies. That was difficult for me, um, and I struggled with it. Um, but I think I'm learning over time to embrace change, not fear it. And having that mindset is really at the core of our product development strategy and our ability to innovate, really. I think that's a fantastic answer. I think that's probably one of the most difficult conundrums um, to try to try and deal with on a, on a sort of, you know, a personal emotional level. Um what, what traits do you think that you possess as an individual that are, are helpful in, I suppose, dealing with the challenges that you faced as an entrepreneur? I suppose, first and foremost, um, an absolute passion for what we're trying to achieve. Um, so really having this strong desire to want to create, have an impact and create positive change. Um, and an absolute love for what we do. So I don't actually see it as work. I thoroughly enjoy um, what we do. Um, secondly, an appetite for risk, because I think that's important on any entrepreneurial journey. Um, I love a challenge and I love um, an opportunity to solve a problem. Um, and then competitiveness. So I've always been a competitive person, um, always striving for better and more all the time. And then I suppose finally, and, and something that I wouldn't have always had, um, but you know, I, I've got over time and the MBA certainly helped with this, but confidence. In my own ability, my, our ability as, you know, a duo, so myself and my co-founder, um, and confidence in our team. So we have a world-class team of thought leaders, clinicians, scientists, uh, and they have the expertise in the area of drug development and commercialization, and I have my utmost faith in them. Um, so that confidence piece is, is really important because that's what keeps you going when times get tough um, and, you know, there are a lot of, Time, time sometimes get tough along the way, so um, that's very useful. And do you find that the MBA made a difference in, in sort of building that confidence as well as building that network? It absolutely did. Um, and, you know, that's w- one of the, the main things that I took from it. But it was one of my the main aims of doing the MBA in the first place. And um, so I can gladly say that, um, you know, I achieved that goal with the MBA. Amazing. And then I suppose what a challenge for, for a lot of entrepreneurs and MBA students is would be managing that sort of balance between um, perhaps work, study and their personal life. And you mentioned that you've, you've got a young family yourself. How did, well, I suppose what would your advice be um, in, in, in sort of striking that balance to make sure that what needs to get done gets done? Yeah, um, and I think I would say that for anybody considering an MBA, you really have to want to do it. It can't be a half-hearted attempt because it's a huge commitment. 
and there's a lot of hard work required if you want to get, uh, you know, um, the most out of it. So you need to ensure that your employer is supportive and fully on board um, because you will need flexibility to enable you to keep all the aspects of your life and work and study going. It is very challenging. Um, so I would advise people to do their research and find the program that best suits their life. The timetable is actually really important. So way up a weekend versus a midweek. Um, uh, if it's an EMBA program like what I did, so an executive MBA. Um, and also a final uh, actual piece of advice would be, and this didn't actually apply to me because I found my co-founder within the company I was working, but if you are planning on starting up your own company and you are considering an MBA, um, do use your MBA as an opportunity to identify a co-founder as well because um, it's, it, it's so much easier to go on that journey um, with, with somebody. Um, and just to say as well that I know you mentioned work-life balance and so on. Um, I don't always manage it, and I'm definitely not always successful at it. Um, and it's a constant challenge. Uh, but I suppose I grew up where um, both my parents had their own businesses, and um, basically the kitchen table was their office, and there was always books and records on the table. And to be honest, it's no different in my house now. And I see it as a work-life integration, and my sons are, are very much exposed to that. My husband and I both have demanding jobs. Uh, but we wouldn't have it any other way, and um, we find ways to make it work. Uh, we get plenty of time off, and we love spending time together and um, getting outdoors and traveling as much as we can as well. So um, it, it's not all bad. <laughs> That's lovely to hear. Um, so what, one last question, Sharon. What really stood out to me um, during the, the judging process of the awards and also on the awards um, evening was how proud the team at, at UCD, Michael Smurfett, were of you and your achievements and, and the close relationship that, that we clearly saw between yourself and the school. Um, Amber feels very passionate about lifelong learning and, and sort of keeping the connection between MBA students and graduates and business schools alive throughout careers, you know, for, for a number of reasons to, to share insights, to, to really sort of keep that zest for, for knowledge and, and learning and networking alive. Why do you think it's important that, that business schools should try and maintain that relationship with, with MBA students and graduates? And, and how do you think that can, can be the most productive relationship it could be really? Yeah, I think it's really important. And I do think that UCD Microcommercial School are really good at it, actually. They put a lot of emphasis on building great links and keeping those connections alive with their alumni networks. And that's really important for the future of um, their programs. Um, it was especially true for me um, recently, obviously, because um, UCD Commercial School nominated me for the AMBA Award, which I was delighted to win. Um, so, you know, not only has the MBA program helped me to achieve my ambitions in terms of the skills and knowledge, but also that support and encouragement um, that is benefiting me now along the way via that strong relationship with the school has really positively exposed um, Shorla Pharma as a credible and internationally focused pharmaceutical company. Um, so, you know, I think that all business schools should put a, a big emphasis on it. But it's also really important for the students um, to manage that themselves and, you know, make sure that they spend time on, on, on that relationship um, and seeing it as, as quite an important aspect um, in the overall scheme of the MBA. Amazing. Sharon, thank you so much for your time and for your insight. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Um, and we look forward to keeping the relationship um, between Amber, UCD Michael Smurfer and yourself um, in place.
Last month, I had a telephone call with Stephanie Mullins, Managing Head of Practice at Blue Sky Education, to talk about the challenging issue of how business schools can best leverage their distinctiveness to a wide range of stakeholders, including the global press. We talk through how schools can convince decision makers that effective communication is vital for achieving strategic goals within the business school. And we ended up talking about the best channels that business schools should be using to promote themselves, both to the media as well as students and graduates. Um, should we kick off by, by just finding out a little bit more about yourself and, and your career? So I am Managing Head of Practice at Blue Sky Education um, and I'm also an Account Director. I actually started my career in journalism and then I moved to the dark side and now I'm in PR. Um, I've worked for business schools for the last almost seven years at Blue Sky and uh, I haven't looked back since. And I suppose in terms of working with the business schools, um your clients or, or other business schools with whom you're working in, in commuting, communicating their brands. What do you think is the, the single sort of biggest issue facing business schools at the moment in terms of, you know, getting their messages out there and, and raising awareness of what they do? That's such a good question. And the first point I would like to make is that there isn't just one issue that all business schools face. They all face various different issues, various different challenges, and they all have very individual goals. Um, so all over the world, they do face different issues. Um, I must say something that pops up a lot is that often business school brands are recognized within their home countries, but they're less well-known internationally. And in addition to this, Business schools often struggle to differentiate their brand and what makes it special and what makes the school special from other business schools. But I must say, it, it really is quite broad in terms of the challenges business schools face. And then with that in mind, I suppose business schools are obviously very keen to, to raise awareness um, of themselves within global press or as they can be communicating more internationally. So what would your advice to business schools be in, in building positive relationships with, you know, the sort of big hitting international media? I'd say it's twofold in being proactive and reactive. In terms of being reactive, and I really, really will um, encourage business school comms departments to be responsive. And if a journalist emails the department, be as quick as possible with a response and as useful as possible. And if you can't help, then be honest and upfront and say, look, I can't help you on this because journalists will respect that. And then they will come back to you and they will keep asking you for advice and for input from your faculty or from your academics or your students or alumni. It really is best practice that makes journalists come back time and time again and building those positive relationships with global press. And it means that those outlets you really want to be seen in often, like the Financial Times or Forbes or Wall Street Journal, will come back to you. Um, and it's, it's building these positive relationships that really matter. So while it's really important to build strong relationships with global press, um, a lot of business schools will also want to really leverage their unique selling points and, and what makes them stand out in the market. So what would your advice to business schools hoping to really leverage their distinctiveness in their communications be? Oh, it's a bit controversial here, but I actually don't believe there's such a thing as a USP for, for a business school. Um, 
but there are things that make them distinct, like their location or specialism or facilities. Um, and this can definitely be leveraged, leveraged by getting students and alumni to speak about these aspects in the press, getting faculty or academics to provide comments and highlight what really makes them special. And then in terms of, you know, getting that message out there and highlighting it, um, obviously business schools are in a really fortunate position because they've got thousands of students and alumni who are almost their ambassadors. So how can business schools do more to encourage their, their own audiences, their own students and graduates to, to promote their brand for them? key way is really having a holistic approach and that mean, means using all aspects to a business school's advantage especially social media to engaging with these people across all platforms to really spread their messages okay great now i just want to go back to a point you made earlier on in the interview where you talked about raising awareness internationally and, um, you know, like the, the challenge for business schools and being more international. So say a business school really wants to, to focus on international outreach. How can, they, how can they look at their own content and the things that they're doing within their schools and ensure that that is relevant to a global audience? First off, I think some content just isn't suitable for a global audience. And the first step really is realizing that and not trying to push it out. Um, other content is applicable across an international audience. And this is things like leadership and management advice, how to start companies and be successful entrepreneurs, how to be a good team player, various soft skills, and all sorts of student and alumni success stories, especially if those students initially came from those international countries. It gives it a relevance to different markets. I must say it's nothing too insular that should be pushed internationally when it's a country that's, say, based in France. If it's a very French story, perhaps about politics, for instance, that's not going to be interesting often to an international audience. Okay. And then, I guess, staying with that point and, and moving it forward a little bit, um, there is so much content available online. There is so much research produced. There's so many different ways of consuming media. What would your advice to business schools who want to, I suppose, stop their thought leadership getting lost in, in this sort of deluge of, of online content? What would your advice be there? It's essential to be relevant and timely. So, for instance, right now, the global pandemic's happening with a lot of the world is in lockdown. So talking about things like international travel and study trips just isn't right to be speaking about. Um, so hitting the places with key audiences, the next piece of advice I want to give, they need to match the goals of the school. So if they want to reach certain people, they need to make sure they're targeting what these people will be reading. Um, and I'd also say that content should not be too full of academic jargon. It needs to be easily read and understood by the average reader. Otherwise, it, it's wasting the effort that's gone into actually getting it out into the world. Um, and I'd also say providing good tips and takeaways for people uh, so that this all doesn't just get lost in the noise. And yeah, I mean, on, on the point about noise, 
what would your advice to a business school really hoping to sort of break through the, the status quo in communications? You know, how, how would they sort of offer something that's a little bit more quirky, original, or, or sort of groundbreaking in terms of their qualms? I think as long as communications departments are staying up to date with what's being spoken about, they can see what stories and what trends they can tap into, and then what other stories they might have that are different and a bit more original that they can send out into the world. And with that in mind, what trends are you seeing that are emerging um, which are shaping the way that business schools look at their communication strategy? Other than the obvious, which is obviously the, the coronavirus pandemic, which has had a massive impact on the way schools are um, planning their, their strategies, um, I'd say it's trends like sustainability, uh, advancing technology, equality, all these things we see popping up at the moment. Okay. Lots to think about. Now, for people who aren't sort of PR experts, they often say, oh, there's no such thing as bad PR. But I think it's fair to say that there are, there is a such thing as PR disasters. What would your advice to skills in terms of crisis communications be? So how could they potentially turn bad PR or PR disasters into good PR opportunities? I think you're right. Sometimes the PR crisis can be quite daunting for a lot of people. Um, and sometimes when an issue is raised in the press, sometimes it's best for schools just not to engage with it because creating more noise around it just draws more attention. But there are times when it can be turned into an opportunity and actually addressing the issue, providing an apology if it is a big issue, um, and showing how they've rectified it and how in future they will prevent any crises like this happening again. That's really key. All right. Thanks, Stephanie. Last question. I'm going to put you on the spot now. Um, personally, what is your favourite way of consuming news? What publications do you enjoy reading that, that add value to you, both, I suppose, professionally and personally? <laughs> that is a really great question. Um, personally, I, I enjoy reading things like the BBC and The Independent and The Guardian. Um, I think in terms of schools, they should really be consuming news from places that I often do because I'm staying up to date with like leadership, for example, say like Forbes or The Economist. Um, and then there is a big ed market press as well, um, Ambition, the magazine from Amber, and uh, all the various other ones in the big ed like business because and QS that, that's really vital amazing well thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us and, and sharing your thoughts um, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and thank you very much for, for such sound practical and challenging advice thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure don't forget to visit www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition for your daily dose of even more advice for business leaders and business schools. And if you've got an idea or a question you'd like us to discuss in the Ambition podcast, feel free to drop us an email at podcast at associationofmbas.com. Until then, bye for now.